Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devi Kagirish and I'm the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. This week, we're celebrating this year's recipient of Film at Lincoln Center's annual Chaplin Award. It's one of America's preeminent actresses who has dazzled us for over 3 decades in roles big and small on stage and on the screen, and whose life story is as inspirational as her craft. It's none other than Viola Davis. In an in-depth tribute essay for Film Comment, Soraya Nadia McDonald writes, "Davis is very much a daughter of the American South, whose experiences have been shaped by the darkness of her skin and the tightness of the curls in her hair. The childhood of poverty, abuse, and invisibility," she writes off in her memoir, "could easily come from a play by August Wilson." but hers is also a tale of triumph of overcoming odds and learning to love herself through her remarkable talent as an actor to turn away from davis to look away from all that she evokes and represents is to avoid facing the past and present of this country a couple of days ago i sat down with davis to dig into some of the most memorable on-screen moments from her career and how she shapes those formidable performances by being a keen observer of life we discussed her iconic turns in denzel washington's fences steve mcqueen's widows gina prince bythewood's the woman king the tv show how to get away with murder as well as some deeper cuts like her early role in steven soderbergh's out of sight We hope you enjoy the conversation and do check out Soraya Nadia McDonald's full essay in tribute to Viola Davis on filmcomment.com. I am so honored to have uh, with me on today's episode of the Film Comment podcast an actress like no other, a peerless artist of American theater and cinema, a recently minted EGOT winner. and the recipient of this year's um Chaplin Award presented by Film at Lincoln Center Viola it's so lovely to be talking with you today nice talking to you too so you know we usually have guests on the film comment podcast introduce themselves obviously you know when when there's someone who who merits no introduction i just jump in but i'm always curious like if you had to introduce yourself today at this point in your career like succinctly what would you say mm. i at this moment in my life i would probably say i'm you know my name is viola and i'm just i'm a brave warrior hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah those are the two words <laughs> i'm always saying probably not warrior. in a way you you think but i'm a brave warrior Yeah. <laughs> Say more, not in the way I think. What does that mean? You know, meaning that I've gone to the point in my life where I'm literally sort of reconciling my past that I have the courage to sort of stare it stare it down and own my story and sort of heal from it. embrace the parts that really worked for me the parts that didn't i counted all joy and i'm willing and ready to sort of live a life that i carved out and i think that makes me a real brave warrior i do <laughs> i would not disagree so yeah. i do want to get I, we will get to uh, a recent performance of yours that featured mm-hmm. you as a warrior but i want to start earlier in your career so i'm going to walk you through five scenes from your career and let me just say so hard to narrow down you know just five scenes and five roles um from across your career cuz so many so many great moments um but i thought we would start with your role in out of sight by Steven Soderbergh. Oh yeah, Moselle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moselle Miller, one of your very early film roles, a really short scene too opposite Jennifer Lopez who comes basically looking for like a good for nothing partner of yours, Maurice, and you greet her, you welcome her into your home. You're wearing this amazing animal print gown and you 
even in those like few scenes, I think what's really incredible is that you feel immediately that this woman has an entire backstory. This film may not tell you that whole backstory, but looking at you, we immediately get that this, this is a full person. This is not just like a little side character just playing a plot function. This is a woman, the way you look, Jennifer Lopez, up and down, you a lawyer. I mean, you know, every little gesture is coloring in a history. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to talk about, like, what do you remember about being offered that role? What do you remember about preparing for it? You know, it's a small role, but clearly you put a lot of thought into it. Well, I have to say to you, when I got that role, I did not see it as a small role. And and it is a small role, by the way. I thought I had made it. <laughs> I was just, you know, I was just ecstatic. Right. Um, here's the thing. As an actor, especially as an actress of color, and an actress of my hue, and I'm not trying to be sort of cynical or pessimistic, but usually you're not going to get bit the bigger roles. You're not going to, and if it, and even if they are bigger, whether they're bigger, or they're smaller, they're medium size, a lot of times they're not fleshed out. So you know how you flesh it out? You do your work, which is you study life, right? And I've lived one. I know Moselle. And no matter if you have, two lines or one word, your task is to create a human being. And for me, Moselle, um, besides sort of living in a very specific area in a very specific life, which is urban, I imagine Moselle probably is not highly educated. And I think that Moselle is probably incredibly lonely probably living in a lot of abuse because I think that what happens after this scene is Isaiah Washington, I think who plays her brother, says, get out of here, Moselle. So she definitely is treated. You have to take those little cues. And as they say in acting, all of those things are given circumstances. Moselle absolutely is in an atmosphere where she is either abused or not considered worthy and doesn't consider herself worthy. So when she sees Jennifer Lopez as a stranger, her first response, of course, is who are you? Because that's what people do in the hood. That's what we did. Every time anyone knocked on our door when we were younger, my father always just screamed, who is it? Because we just didn't trust. There is a lack of trust in communities that are poor, especially when people knock on your your door and they look official, social workers, police officers, landlords, People who are collecting the rent, they're all the enemy. It's the other side. So then after she questions, then in my brain, she's also another woman. She's also someone maybe I can connect to. And that's when I choose to let her in. But at the same time, as human pathology goes, sometimes I have to explain why Moselle doesn't have the language to say, okay, my name is Moselle, you know, my name is Moselle, listen, I know you're just here for, can I just talk to you? She doesn't say that. But at the same time, I have to play that woman who is looking for connection. Somewhere inside, she is hoping that this could be the person that gives her some respite, some sort of sounding board, some levity. Um, and it's a part of her that also wants to spill all the beans and, sell, and tell all the secrets. Um, so I had to play, Th- that's what I was playing. I was, I was playing the women that I grew up with my next door neighbors, the people who always were suspicious of people, the people who always kept things in, you know, the people who, you know, were abused, but, you know, felt like they were immersed in silence because they knew that if they spilled the beans, 
they don't know what the repercussions would have been. To me, all of that was Moselle. And um, those are the things I played. I think that I probably had two lines in that scene. By the way, that scene right there was shot over a period of maybe a month or two because we had to do the interior shot with me on the couch. I believe I was on the couch with a cigarette. Yeah. And then we had to do the other part of the scene when I opened the door and you see the shot of Jennifer Lopez on the other side. So we had to go to Detroit to shoot that. So I had to remember the tonality of the scene also. But what I do is... Oh, so the couch scene was on a set, is that? That was on a set at Universal Studios. And the other part of the scene was in Detroit, I think like a month and a half later. It's so crazy to think about how movies are actually, you know, lies. (laughs) Just patched together. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So I had to play this sort of lonely, this sort of maybe abused, um, that sort of woman that probably when she's walking down the street with her boyfriend, probably walks six feet behind because he doesn't think that she is worthy of him. And she's always hoping that he considers her worthy. Those people that probably we don't want to play, that we don't want to acknowledge, that was Moselle. But the exterior, in an attitude Black woman smoking a cigarette in a tiger print robe. And it's that sort of duality that creates a human being, creates someone that maybe you can connect the dots and relate to. Hmm. That's beautifully put. I know that when you shot for doubt, which is also, I'm saying in air quotes, a small part, obviously not <laughs> small if you think about the impact of the of that scene, you apparently wrote like a hundred page autobiography for that character. Is that is that typical for you when you were doing roles, even even early in your career, those short screen time roles, if, if I may say? It used to be. And it's because I always feel that you cannot be armed with enough information. Listen, I wrote an, a memoir over a period of, I don't know how many months. Yeah, I, ro- I would roll out of bed two, three in the morning. And still, when I look at that book, the only thing I could think is that's just 30% of my life. The things that I still couldn't remember. And even the things that I could remember, I couldn't process. So I didn't put it in the book. So um, so I did not understand Mrs. Miller. Hmm. I felt that when I got the role, I felt that it was obviously very dynamic and powerful. And you can write a powerful scene. You can. Any. A lot of people, I mean, John Patrick Shanley, I mean, come on, that's on a different stratosphere. He's got a different head. It's obviously a brilliantly, you know, written narrative. With Mrs. Miller, because I always like to connect the dot to a human being, okay? I did not understand her. I just didn't get it. Now, do did I acknowledge that it's an incredibly dynamic uh, role that I wanted to lean into? Absolutely. But for me, I had to um, sort of root it in reality. And the only way I knew how to do that was to continue writing until I got it. It's like the famous Michelangelo quote. I saw, I saw an angel in the marble and I kept chiseling until I set him free. Hmm. And it's the same thing with acting. You got to keep writing. You got to keep chiseling. You know, what's her memory? What's, what is she living for? What is she doing? What is she doing? And asking questions even of other people. Maybe it'll click. Maybe something will click so I can root it in reality. Hmm. So that I'm not sort of putting on a character from the outside. I kept writing and writing and writing. After 24 pages, I still didn't get it. So it ended up being 100 pages. And what clicked for me was this. One, a former teacher of mine, I just kept talking to people. And one of the things that she said is, she wants her son, Viola, to stay in the school and she's okay with the priest teaching him because she doesn't have a choice. That is what did it for me. 
Because here's the thing with sexual assault and with molestation, I think the reason why it happens a lot of times is it happens in secrecy. And when it happens in spaces that you don't expect it to happen, it's because you don't know about it and you don't have any control. And then the famous last lines is, if I would have known. So my big thing is now Mrs. Miller knows. So why doesn't she do anything? And she doesn't do anything because I had to connect all of the other given circumstances. What do I see when I go home in terms of abuse with the father? If I don't have the control to, to stop the abuse, then I want, I, then I want my son to be in a situation where he can escape it, where he can heal from it. So it's sort of a passive way of protecting him. Mm -hmm. And then the other element of not understanding homosexuality, hmm. which I obviously see in my son. So for me, it's um, meeting Mrs. Miller where she is at instead of trying to bring Mrs. Miller into me, Viola. And Mrs. Miller is someone who doesn't understand molestation, doesn't understand homosexuality. She is just a woman driven by the maternal instinct to protect her son. Hmm. It's not political correctness. It's, it's, it's not anything. So I saw the scene more like begging than requesting. Hmm. But that's only after a hundred pages of saying, um, and of course it's somewhere in here. I may have kept it. I may not have uh, kept it, but I know Mrs. Miller is probably most of the people I grew up with in my family, you know, who say, you know, instead of saying someone is mentally ill, they're touched. Instead of saying someone is gay, we say they're that away. And that is how I embrace Mrs. Miller finally, because I was trying to bring her into my highly empathic, educated 21st century head, and that wasn't working for me. When I brought her into Sophie's Choice, another generation, another way of thinking head, she made complete sense. Wow. Okay. That, that was wonderful. And I think that that kind of relates to the next scene I wanted to talk about, because what I want to talk about next is your role in how to get away with murder, which mm -hmm. is the opposite. I mean, these are, like we said, again, small scenes in the sense that they're very isolated, intense moments for you, which you constructed a backstory. Yes. Now let's talk about you playing a character over years, you yeah. know, and how TV works is, you know, it's not like everything is written out already, you know, so there's like you're you're receiving new information, but you have to maintain a kind of consistency. And the pleasure of a Shonda Rhimes, a Shondaland show is there's lots that's like a little, you know, there's a lot of twists. It's often improbable, but you you bring this consistency and gravitas to it. And of course, the iconic scene is when you remove your wig, which apparently yeah. you asked that scene to be written in. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can start talking about that scene and then more broadly about what it took to prepare for a role like that. Well, when I got, um, when I was offered how to get away with murder, I was adamant about not doing television because I felt, first of all, I feel that TV is written for effect. Mm -hmm. It's not written to sort of show life. Mm -hmm. It's gimmicky. It's melodramatic. Right. But regardless of how it's written, you still have to be an actor and you have to problem solve. Hmm. Your job is still to create a human being within all of that. You do not give yourself over to the gimmickry or to the melodrama or to the affectation of the writing. You can't. Okay. 
And by the way, to digress for two minutes, for, for, for actually 30 seconds, is that I believe, it is just my opinion, that a lot of times what happens with acting is 85% of the work is in the narrative. And you as the actor make up the other 15% of it. So if, if, if it is not written within an inch of its life, if it's just 15% there, then you have to do 85% of the work. With Annalise Keating, it sort of was uh, when they um, pitched it to me, and I'm mentioning this is because this is where the wig scene was, was sort of birthed, hmm. where I said, the only way I will do this show is if, I, if I'm in a wig and makeup that I take the wig off. I, I cannot do network TV if I have to lose weight, get a certain image, and, you know, so I can have a Q rating. And so people can tweet about the purse I had and the outfit I wore. I, I can't do that. I'm not that type of actor. I never have been. If I were, maybe I would have done it. Who knows? But I'm not. But I felt that if you take, if I could take my wig off, and you see who I am underneath this, and I take everything off, then you will have no choice but to deal with that woman. She's The cat is out of the bag. Hmm. You have to deal with her now. So now who is she? And it's the same thing with sex scenes. I said, if you want, because we had a sex scene in the pilot episode, actually, that was cut. And I didn't understand it. I did it, but I didn't understand it. So I said, if you want more sex scenes, you have to explain sex scenes. There is no woman out there, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, most of the people who are out there who are female, who are having this type of sex with as many people as Annalise Keating is having sex with, then she's been sexually assaulted. If she's that promiscuous, you have to connect the dots to human pathology. That is the study of what makes us tick. If you do that, I can do the show. I'm the woman for you. If you cannot do that, you got to go to someone else. You know, you could go to Central Casting. You could go to, I don't know, Elite Modeling Agency. So that's where it was birthed. And they were receptive to that? I mean, was it a struggle or? They were receptive to that yeah. because I was receptive to that. The, the reception of the creators is equal to the bravery of the actor. Hmm. So I had to be brave and bold enough to be sort of that different woman that you, you see on network TV and in Shonda Rhimes. Because before I took the wig off, Laura Innes, who is fantastic, by the way, fantastic actress, fantastic director, is before I took the wig off, she was like, wait a minute. Do we really want to do this? Because we know Shonda has a certain look, a certain style, you know? And one of the things I said is, here's the thing. Shonda's name is on it. Pete Nowak, by the way, is a creator. Mm-hmm. But you can either be great TV or you can be okay TV. Great TV, it is, is Edith Bunker getting sexually assaulted in one of the episodes. Great TV is Debbie Allen in an episode of Good Times who is caught in the bathroom shooting up heroin. It's good times when one of the neighbors is suffering from such food poverty that she's eating dog food. Sometimes you can go the extra mile or mash the final episode that got 150 million viewers that talked about PTSD in the Korean War. You can make bold human statements on TV. You don't have to sort of be a prisoner of what you expect it to be. So what I had to prepare myself for is um, what you have to do in acting is they always say is you have to be brave enough to be private in public. And that's all I had to do in the scene. 
And by the way, whenever you do that, 100% of the time, you're going to get good results. People don't want to feel alone. They want to see themselves. And um, so that's where the scene was born out of, of, of making her human. And that's where Miss Tyson came on. That's where, you know, Annalise became, you know, sexually fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where a sexual assault was explained. And there you have it. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. So this is, again, a very good segue to the next scene I wanted to talk about, which makes a really great compliment to this scene, um, which is in Widows, there's a moment where I believe you're getting ready for your husband's funeral, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. There's a scene Mm -hmm. in a bathroom. And so, you know, here we're talking about you taking off your wig. That scene, we see you putting on makeup, you're doing on your, you know, you're doing your hair, you're putting on a facade. And in the moment, in the middle of that, you let out a scream. And then you pull yourself back together. Mm-hmm. And um, I found this very striking because I feel like you embodied something in that moment that I know you've spoken about as something black women struggle, have to struggle with, with mm-hmm. this, which is either you're too controlled and then you're too cold or mm-hmm. you're too emotional and then you're hysterical. And Absolutely. to me, that moment really captured that. And I was wondering if you could talk about that moment, but also generally how you've dealt with these sorts of stereotypes in your career. It's very hard, first of all, going down the sort of um, the lane of all my work, because I always feel like, oh, it could have all been better. But um, Uh, that's just because you're a perfectionist, I'm sure. (laughs) But, you know, yes. Yes to what you just said with Black women. More importantly, that that moment is probably more about grief. Mm. I think that with grief and trauma, what I'm realizing at 57 is, I think that we like to do a lot of dirty work in private. I think that, I think the worst thing that we wanna do is lose control. I think that we don't understand the power, the destruction of holding it in. Mm. Um, so that moment, basically, it, and it still happens to me. I, I'm not going to lie. I Listen, there are times, you know, that I'm sitting in my house. All of a sudden, I get a lump in my throat. I don't know where it's coming from. It could be the past. It's like emotional lint is what it is. But there is no way that I want to give into it because I'm terrified of losing control. But I know that when my father died and I was at hospice and the moment that nurse put the stethoscope on his chest and I knew that he was gone and that nurse stood up and held my mom and said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Davis, but he's gone. I'm telling you, it is the equivalent of, I don't know, being sick and vomiting, Mm. doing everything you can not to vomit in public because you don't want it to you know, drip off of your mouth and, oh my God, what does it look like? And what if I can't control it? What if it comes through my nose? What if, what what if it can't stop? What, it feels like death. But that's what that moment was about. Keeping it together, preparing for a funeral, preparing for, like a friend of mine said, when your father dies, it will be devastating. 
When you bury at the funeral, it will be even more devastating. When you bury him, it's going to be more devastating than that. And after you bury him, it's going to be more devastating when you realize he's gone. Hmm. That's the journey. So I'm preparing myself the mask, putting on the mask, the grins and lies, it hides hmm. and shades our eyes. And no matter what, the human spirit does not adhere to masks. The human heart cannot be controlled when you love someone who is just then ripped from you. So the key is for me in that scene anyway, was it's not in letting it go. You can't play that. You can't play the letting it go. You have to play uh, what's, what you play is I'm going to get through this because I have to survive. Hmm. The obstacle is the person that I love most in the world is gone. So then what you do is you do everything to keep it together. And then you allow whatever is going on in, inside of you to come out as strongly as it can before you rip it back, back to, but before you take it back and put it back together. Hmm. That's how grief works. Grief works because you have to keep thinking, I want to live. I got to survive. I want to live. I got to survive. But you've done the work of how the freak am I going to do that? Hmm. That's all that moment is about. It really is. That's it. Wow. Um, you are, you know, talking about losing control. You're known as one of the best criers in cinema. Oh you know this, right? <laughs> I mean, the way you cry is, it's, it, it really is very moving. And of course, there's that famous scene in Fences uh, mm -hmm. when you confront Denzel, Denzel Washington's character and you say, I've been standing here, you know, with you. And there's snot and you're just letting loose, but still staying put together, that, that combination that you just talked about. I want to talk about that scene, but I'm also kind of curious about what August Wilson's work has meant to you. You have played in so many of his plays, you know, you've acted in so many of his plays, um, on the stage, of course, but also on the screen. They've been some of your most acclaimed roles. It does seem like you connect very deeply to his characters. Um, if you could say a little bit about your relationship with his work. August is familiar. Hmm. That's how I relate to his work. I know Rose, I know Troy, I know Vera, I know Ruby, I know every last one of them. Most of our work as black actors is we have to be very knowledgeable on the works of Arthur Miller and Shakespeare and Strindberg and Albie, and they're all fantastic writers. They really are. But um, in terms of my life and relating in my life, I don't, I don't necessarily get all those characters. I get their humanity. I don't necessarily get their makeup and their exterior. I get it with August Wilson. I get it. It is the cadence of my mom, my dad, my grandmom, Moselle, and my grandfather, Henry, Henry Lee, all of them. And so I don't have to work at that. Okay. And what I like about August is this, especially with that um, scene. Mm. I think that we have a certain idea of how film acting should be. The camera does all the work. You just, you just gotta be small with it. So you, have to, you don't have to do a lot. So, you know, you get with actors and, and really I probably have done this too. You whisper, you, you do everything small. But once again, as an actor, you are tasked with mirroring life. You are an observer of life. You're not an observer of other actors. You don't study Nicole Kidman or study Meryl Streep, see what they're doing. That's studying actors. Life way more complicated than that. You're tasked with helping the audience, which is a part of the collaboration, feel less alone. And I'm sorry, 
There are moments in life that are big. There are like Greek tragedies. The stakes are so high. And you're talking about 1956 where Rose, whose only identity is keeping that family together. This is, this is um, Betty Friedan, <laughs> where women hid their pain behind perfectly ap applied lipstick and wax floors. Mm. They had the highest rate of alcoholism in women because we had to suppress our dreams and our hopes. And now here I am looking at my entire family, AKA my entire purpose in my life falling apart. The stakes are high. Mm. So I had to give myself permission to let the snots flow, to scream and say, what about me? I have seen that. I saw it in, you know, my next door neighbors growing up. I saw it in public fights in the middle of the street where, I mean, I've seen it with people duking it out, bloody battles, screaming at each other, just ripping and roaring. I mean, I see those scenes, but then I go to the movie and I don't, and I don't ever see those scenes because when you see those scenes every, every time and, 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 and if there are, those tiny moments where you do see a glimpse of it, people always say it's overacting. Right. And it's because we're not observers. Every single time you've gotta be present. You gotta be present at those moments. Listen, when my dad died, that was not a small suppressed moment. I screamed at the top of my lungs. My husband's mother screamed at the top of her lungs when her daughter died before she did. She screamed her name when the coffin went in the ground. Mm. You know, Joyce! So it's those moments that I put in my lexicon. I put that in my lexicon. And when it was time in that moment with Rose, who was so dutiful, to let it rip because you're taking my entire meaning from me. Then I gave myself permission to do that. Mm. Wow. I'm, so I'm interested. Um, I want to talk about a more recent role of yours, Naneska in mm -hmm. The Woman King, a brave warrior, you know, quite literally. And, um, you know, what you were just saying about this, these big moments, a lot of the times when you've done that in films, it's been, I mean, you have great body language, you're a great body actor, but it's been, the face has been the arena um, for a lot of these moments. And in The Woman King, there's many moments, but the moment when, spoiler alert, if anyone hasn't seen the film yet, which why would you not? But the moment you kill Oba, which is a moment both, of that kind of big emotional moment, but it's also an action moment. You know, you're like jumping around and pirouetting. I mean, it's very violent. And I wanted to talk about that film and how it felt like to do this kind of acting that you're mostly used to doing in a more limited yeah. physical space mm -hmm. with this acrobatic, you know, space. Um, if you could talk about that. Very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I had to play a warrior. I'm not a warrior in my life. I don't know any warriors, like none. I don't know one person who's a warrior. Um, except I know I, that's how I introduced myself, but that was different. That's a different context. And so training for it, five hours a day mm. um, for three months and five months in the jungles of Africa. So eight months and I'm 57. So I was the oldest warrior out there, but that's who Naniska is. Her body and her fighting skills is her pride. And when you have no other way of defining yourself, that's it. You take pride in it. Mm. Viola Davis does not take pride in walking around in like a skimpy leather shield and a little skirt showing her abs. That's not who I am. But I had to transform into Naniska. So 
there was a lot of moving parts. That was the first part, five hours. Mm -hmm. And weightlifting, running on the treadmill at 10.0, three hours of martial arts every single day. That hor Horrible, really. I mean, really. <laughs> sounds horrible. painful. <laughs> Although I am so proud of myself, I was able to do that. But, um, and of course, being African and, and all of that. But more importantly, you know, reading the works of Roxane Gay, but also my own life to mm. be perfectly candid and authentic of, um, you know, healing from sexual assault. Mm. Because in my opinion, I do not think that anybody wants to sit through a movie and just see someone who's strong all the time. Right. That what are you living for? What are your memories that you're running from? What's standing in the way of what you live for? And for me, I had to, um, I had to use the sexual assault as a driving force in Aniska's life and, and sort of that had to be parallel to her strength and her, her strength as a leader and as a warrior. In the scene with Oba, the thing, the, the, the issue with that scene, I, I'm, I'm the actor who probably will, will always have issues with, you know, hasta la vista, baby. Uh -huh. Or, you know, any of those, like, those catchy lines, you know, in, in shows, I certainly have them. You know, even How to Get Away with Murder, you know, why is, you know, why is your penis on this dead <laughs> this phone? dead girl's phone? Yeah. yeah, that was a line. I have issues with that. I really do. Because I just feel the gimmick, the gimmick, right, right. right? So for me, once again, I was tasked with Viola. I don't know a Naniska in my life. I do know sexual assault. I do know that in my life. So in your imagination, using all of your experience, how do you think this, this would play out? Mm -hmm. How do you want it to play out? In your fantasy, if you could face your predator, the person who assaulted you, the person who gave you all these bad memories, who felt, who made you feel dirty, who made you feel unworthy, who erased you, what would it look like? Mm. And you know what? Here's the thing. Sometimes moments, even, and I forget what I said in that. As soon as I finish a movie, by the way, I forget everything. I forget all the lines. You know, I think I said something like, you don't remember remember me, but now you'll never forget. Forget, yeah. In my brain, I imagine what I would say to my abuser. Hmm. And it helped me to read Roxane Gay's book, Hunger. Hmm. And I felt like if at least it came from me, from an experience that's so specific, then even if it's sort of in a fictitious setting, people will feel it. Mm. Right. And that's all that moment was about, because I'll tell you, uh, there is nothing like being a girl in the 21st century, playing a warrior <laughs> from 1826 and seeing a 230 pound man coming at you with a machete. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that moment. I mean, yeah. I could go on and on, but there you well, go. Well, there's, I, I do have one more moment. I did want to talk about your new film, Air, uh, which I just saw recently. And I think mm -hmm. that it's, your role is such a linchpin in the film. And also because 
we don't actually see Michael Jordan in the film. You are, you fill in for so much, you know, as in the role of his mother. And um, I, I mean, I was really actually struck by your first scene in the movie. I mean, our introduction to you when Matt Damon's character comes to visit you, you size him up. And there's that little moment where you go from being frustrated, like, why is this man here? He was told not to call to thinking, okay, he has some guts and I see myself in him. There's a, there's a slight smile appears on your face. Um, I loved that. And I was also thinking about how you imbue this kind of inner life to a person who, a real life person. I mean, all the roles we've been talking about so far have been fictional, but you've also played some some real people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I think this one is really interesting again, because there's so much of her personality you're conveying in little gestures and she's a real person, but not necessarily a celebrity. Uh, I mean, she's a celebrity, but not like an actress or a musician yeah. like Ma Rainey. Could you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about approaching that character? First of all, I was playing Dolores Jordan. Dolores Jordan is, if you've seen videotapes of her, first of all, I, you know, and listen, there's not, enough time to get every single information about a real human being or any human being really like I said about my book it's 30% of who I am um so I just watched a lot of video of her of course I read about her I don't imagine and she probably has in her life but for the most part I don't see Dolores Jordan as raising her voice And I imagine her knowing exactly who she is. Mm. And I imagine her absolutely protecting her family. And I imagine her absolutely being an observer. And I know who that is. That's my sister, Diane. That's who, that was the parallel. See, like all, I always have to connect the dots with real people. And And the thing with black people is, Going back to Moselle, and you know, at this point, Michael Jordan is being recruited, of course, by a lot of people, and there was a big no-no not to come to the house. I put that boundary out there. Black people in general, especially that time period, but even now, they don't trust white people come to their house, especially unsolicited. And you know what? With... With his father, that was a whole different response because he's a dude. He's just happy. His son, bam, is going to be an athlete. He is an athlete. He's going to be a top athlete, being recruited. The mother, however, is different. The mom is thinking about all the things that Sonny is thinking about. What if he gets hurt? Um, He needs to be taken care of. Um, They need to know my son's worth or whatever. So I, I don't trust him. Mm. but at the same time this is she's a lady she's not a moselle she's not i don't know anyone else who my father who would come out with his pitchfork probably mm. she is someone who would be a slightly respectable uh, respectable respectable mm. and i think that i allowed um, in those scenes with Sonny in the beginning, I allowed him to do all the work to convince me that you're authentic. And the, how I did that was by telling me, tell me what, where you got your name from, who's your mom, all that. So I'm sussing him out, right? I'm doing all, laying all the groundwork before I lay in for the kill. Because... I, 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 I don't trust him. And, and by the way, that happens a lot in film. You know, people are, you know, especially with when you're playing a real life person, you're prettier than what you are. You're funnier than what you really are. You're, you know, you're all of those things. I just wanted to play a regular woman who wanted to protect her family and who's highly intelligent and knows her worth that's it that's what you get from Dolores Jordan and the journey and all of that was like once again she didn't trust him 
He's a hustler. And actually there were some lines that were cut in that scene where she talks about how this is several generations of Jordans have lived on this land. The same cypress trees are here. This is a woman who's honoring even the past. Right. Keeping all of that alive. There's certain people who just like that. That's, I'm not one of them. <laughs> but she's, she is one of them. So um, you have to be present in the scene. Everything, every moment, every sliver of a word that's coming from another character is bringing you closer and closer to your final objective that will fulfill your ultimate need. And with Sonny, I felt like he was authentic. Well, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. And I think we came full circle. It's so it's so funny that you referenced Moselle. And it was kind of the same thing where you said, this woman doesn't trust the person who just showed up at her door. So, you know, um, that was a nice, nice kind of yes. word. Yeah. Yes. But, Thank you so much, Viola, for your time. Um, this was just wonderful. I really appreciated the opportunity to dig into some select roles from your long career. Congrats again on the Chaplin Award. We're so looking forward to welcoming you. Thank uh, you. And thank you so much. Thank you. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.